1: This week's conversation, uh, or this week's, yeah, this week's conversation. And uh, we have a very special guest. We got Stephen Black. He's the director of First Stone Ministries. And I'm really excited that we could just sit down and, again, have this conversation and kind of talk through some of these issues that I feel like the church is facing right now. So, welcome.
2: Uh, Thank you. This is um, always great to be able to talk about um, what all is going on in the church and in view of ministry and what God's doing. So, pleasure to be
1: here. For sure. And so I would love to just start out and give you the chance to share your testimony, how God saved you, how God worked through your life leading up to you being saved, and that sort of thing. And so the floor is yours.
2: Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, uh, my story starts uh, 35 years ago. Um, So uh, I am the director with First Stone Ministries here in Oklahoma City. It's firststone.org. And uh, I have been in full time ministry for the last 30, well, full-time ministry here, first time um, for 27 years, full ministering in the area of helping people overcome homosexuality for 30 years. Um, I've been married for almost 33 years to a woman, who uh, her name is Robin, and we have three adult children and four grandchildren. So I'm an old guy, I'm grandpa, uh, but I do love talking about what the Lord did in my life 35 years ago and through what he's been doing this entire time. Uh, I'm an ardent lover of Jesus Christ. When I met him, I became on fire for him. And I had this radical transformative experience with him. Um, actually, it wasn't even in the church house. It was in a, um, a, a really godly family that love the Lord in their home that I had this experience with God. Uh, but uh, before that, uh, for eight years, I had lived gay identified. So they didn't even, you know, totally know who I was because I was with their sister and I was just there listening to what all they were saying. Uh, but I had lived as a, as a gay man for eight years in my most, most formative years. I, I was raised in Catholicism, went to parochial school. So I knew a lot about God and things of God. And um, in this journey, um, unfortunately, as it is with so many of the people that we minister to, um, I was molested as a child. And so that brought a lot of distortion and uh, uh, sexual uncleanness into my life at the age of 6, 10, 11. And uh, then uh, by the time I entered into puberty, uh, I get into the gay world and some really egregious things happen there as well. Um, but so this formation was taking place. So by the time I did enter into puberty, the people around me were all calling me, uh, a sissy, a queer, a faggot. And, uh, so I began wrestling with my feelings and, and actually did find myself attracted and inadequate in comparing myself with other males. And, um, uh so uh I started thinking, well maybe I am gay. They're saying I'm gay. What is gay? And honestly, uh I didn't really even know there was a gay world like we know now. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. and so I felt like a real misfit and uh and became very, very depressed after being beat up by school bullies. I mean they beat really beat me badly. Yeah. And uh and that summer I began to think, well, I must be I must be a gay, I must be I must be queer. And I thought, well, I need to take, I want to take my life. And I became very depressed. And uh, there was a guy who had been watching me, a friend of a friend who was uh, a few years older, had a car, um, actually came over to my house one night and said, I know what your problem is. Um, And I said, no, you don't. And he said, yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. And he said, let's go down to your, your bedroom. And I had a really nice bedroom in my folks home. It was like you know, uh, in a basement, but, you know, my own area of the house. Right. And uh, he took me in there and he said, Oh, I know what's wrong with you. You think you're gay. Well, I'm bisexual. And that opened up the doors to the gay community. And so I lived that way. Uh, he introduced me to the gay community. It actually kind of brought a sense of relief that I was not alone.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: mm-hmm. And then also, you know, I was um, desirable. Uh, I was an attractive young kid, and um, and I thought that was love, and so uh, I lived that way, and it was a very 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 broken and very dark time in my life. But what happened is my little brother died on Mother's Day. I had a, a set of twins, eighteen months younger than me, on Mother's Day in 1981. Um, our our family was just turned upside down, and I at Six months prior to that, at my sister, his twin's wedding reception, the priest of my parents' parish came up to me and said, I know the reason why you haven't been coming to Mass.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: All the reason to come to Mass. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, The my parents' priest just tried to seduce me. Right. And so freaked out. Well, at the funeral, he's actually talking to some people I know. And I come to find out there's a whole gay even in the in the 70s in the early 80s there was this gay Christian thing, and and they began to all tell me that it was okay to be gay and Christian. Well, I felt like there was something really wrong. And this is how wonderful God is is for that year and a half from Mother's Day 1981 until February 6, 1983. I cried out to God and I would cry out, God, I want to know you. And where, where, where is this thing? Eternity. Uh, Where's my brother? Is he in heaven or is he in hell? Who are you? I want to know you, God. And then finally on February 6th, I'm in these people's house. I'd been out partying with this girlfriend and on the 5th, Saturday, the 5th. And we ended up at these people's house and they, we're talking about Jesus Christ and ways I had never heard. And all of a sudden in their home, the spirit of God came over me and I didn't know it was the spirit of God, but I heard this voice and he said, if you do not accept me tonight, you're going to die. And it was just, it was that clear. It was like somebody talking in my ear. Mm-hmm. If you do not accept me tonight, you're going to die. And my heart started racing and pounding. And I was looking around the room and all the ladies were talking and it's like, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden all the women left the room and it was just me and this other man. And I looked over at him. I said, I need to know Jesus Christ. Like you have, you know, Jesus. And he gets about his chair and he looks at me and says, brother, the Lord is calling you. And I'm like going, Oh, you have no idea. And my heart's pounding. I'm going, yes, he's calling me. And so we pray, and he actually becomes a really good friend for about the first six months. And um, and the rest is history. I've been sold out to Jesus ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, the, in the early 80s, I was a part of this thing called the fullness movement in the Southern Baptist Church. And these people that um, had been praying for me in the engineering department, I was studying to be an architect at that time. And I was working in a manufacturing company in the engineering department, was a draftsman. And, and that was back in the days when we used to use ink. Um, and anyhow, so um, these, these people have been praying for my salvation. And so I got involved in this church that was incredibly on fire for God. And honestly, Jeff, to this day, I have not seen miracles like I saw then.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: I actually saw miracles. I saw a leg grow. I saw a man who was deaf get his hearing from from birth. We saw all kinds of things. And to this day, in my 35 years of Christianity, those first three years of Christianity ruined me for God. Mm-hmm. Because to this day, I still have not seen the things I saw then. Right. And so it made me realize that the Bible, especially the night I got saved, Was real because the girl I was with, she goes um, on the way home. She goes, well, does this mean you're not going to be gay anymore? And I said, you know, I guess it means whatever Jesus has for me. And so that's but that got my curiosity uh, stirred up. I get home and I get one of these big table Bibles that my parents had. The only Bible in the house. And it was the big blessed version from the Vatican, truly. Yeah. And it's got all these extra pictures and everything. And I knew pray over something that thick to try to find truth, right? It was a miracle. It was a miracle. I put that thing on my lap. I pray over it. I literally flipped it open and it went right to Leviticus 18. Mm -hmm. And I saw it said laws on sexual morality. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this passage has something to do with homosexuality and literally my eyes fell down on verse 22. Right. And I saw in black and white the thing that I had asked the priest about because after my my brother's funeral I had asked the priest, you know, it was is it okay to be gay? And he said, "Oh yeah. Oh yeah, God loves you, Stephen, just the way you are." And so I had this false peace but Something never set well, and I cried out for truth for a year and a half, and he heard me. He heard my cry. That's why Psalms 30, Psalms 40, these verses, they all came alive. Psalms 117, verse 20, or 107, verse 20, it says, He sent his word to heal them and to deliver them from their destruction. He sent his law. He sent his word. I was involved in this revival, and I've been ruined for God ever since. I'm in love with the word of God. It is transforming and changes me, and changes all the people that I minister to's lives, and so that's that's my story, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I've seen literally, if not several hundreds, thousand over,
1: uh, had the honor
2: to, to serve over the years, really um, change.
1: Yeah, for sure, and you know, and one of the things that you know we'll get into here in a bit is. Like what you do with your ministry and how, and how you minister to that community and that sort of thing, but I kind of wanted to ask a few kind of clarification questions. I think to a certain degree, because sure. I, th- I feel like a lot of times Christians they don't understand this world at all, you know. And as somebody who's obviously gone through that and experienced that and that sort of thing, I know that you had mentioned that you you know you were abused as a child. And that shortly after, that's when you started realizing that you felt like you were gay. How? What? What in that causes your mind to go to that? Because I feel like a lot of Christians, and we all know, trauma can lead to that. But what is it that leads somebody to feel like after that trauma that they begin to identify as gay?
2: Well, and not everybody, not every male, not every female that is sexually molested is going to end up being homosexual. Right. But high percentage of the of the people that we do minister to were sexually molested. Um, Sixty percent of the males, about 80 percent of the females. So that is a pretty significant number. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And what happens in a child's mind is they're opened up to a world of sexual feeling uh, that they weren't supposed to be opened up to. And, you know, when I did a survey, I, we, we just, um, uh, did a, a survey in, in our ministry. It's, uh, this, it's, it's published now. And when we did this, we found out that the numbers actually went down. And I was curious, but then I remembered, Oh, we have this now. This last generation, it's only a click away from the most, most decadent of, of um, uh, pornography. And so this last generation, even the people that I minister to, uh, significant and probably 95% of the men that I minister to, um, have, if they're not addicted, they've used pornography quite a bit. And most of these people were exposed to pornography prepubescent. Okay. so. They, they get involved in pornography now, and they don't have to be molested. They're, they're, they're actually being shown the ropes ahead of time. And this is now true even in elementary school. So this is a huge issue of development of the mind and one's identity um, is their sexuality. And the world is actually telling them if they're a soft, sensitive, or artistic male— maybe they should consider that they're gay. Or if they are a, you know, assertive, strong, um, non-emotional female, then maybe they're gay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this gender fluidity message is rampant in our culture now. And somehow orientation isn't, which is, you know, upside down. Right. really orientation is fluid and gender isn't.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: mm-hmm. you have all of this happening And this is very consistent with the people that I minister to. And then the area of perception and one's own gifting, one's own personality. There can be a bending towards feeling insignificant, inferiority, comparison to one's gender that makes someone feel like, well, I'm less than. And because of that, in their development, they, like a male, would more identify with the feminine or females mm-hmm. rather than males. Right. And so then when puberty hits, it feels like they're inadequate and actually even become attracted to that which they feel they don't have. Okay. Because attraction usually is about having an, an, an awareness of the other that you're not like. Right. And, and we see that in nature with natural heterosexuality, the God intended. Mm-hmm. But because mm-hmm. of the corruption and the fall, you're going to have people that feel at one level or another because of their insecurities, because of fears. I mean, there's a whole list of things that can go on in a person's life, um, especially the distortion issue that makes them feel like that they're, you know, they're struggling with their same sex. Right
1: now. And now kind of still kind of going along with that as well is like we're talking about some of the things that can lead people to, you know, have these feelings, have these attractions, that sort of thing. How do you deal with the the world and secular society where they're saying that this is the way you're born and this is, you know, basically inherited or genetic or something like that? How do, How should a Christian be able to deal with something like that?
2: Well, as Christians, of course, um, and, and I'm, I'm a pastoral caregiver, I'm an ordained minister, and so I'm always going to be coming more from the perspective of theology and what the Scripture says, right. unapologetically. But um, we do point to the science and uh, the sciences of sociology, anthropology, psychology. And when you start looking at the, at the sciences and you, and you look at the development of people— you, it, it becomes very clear very fast that truly there is only one expression of human sexuality historically, um, you know, when you look at the anthropology of man, and, and that is heterosexuality. Heterosexuality is not just an orientation. It's innately who we are as created beings, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a hurdle and really something that people need to think through. Um, males and their genitalia point to that they are male. Women and their genitalia, that they are female. And even in biology and with what we have, what is called the intersex person or uh deformities, it's still conclusively male and female. And so, you know, the, the gay community will try to throw up some of these ruse things about that. So we look at that, and then we there is science out there now. There are studies, of course. There's our study that's based upon the pastoral care of individuals changing. So we know people change um, that at one time um, had considered themselves homosexual only, and even uh, a latest the care study that just came out in July to you know our three uh, APA doctors PhDs that did a study on men who were seeking sexual orientation change efforts from a religious perspective and showed that even the same mirrored the same results as ours, which is more than 70%, were able to obtain significant change to where they considered themselves heterosexual or that they wanted to live as heterosexual people. And most people that find actual lasting victory do not take on these uh, sin constructs of identity like LGBTQ and connect it with Christ right people that find real victory shun that shun the world, shun the ways of the world, and actually put their energy into the development of the new identity in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones that we see that are successful that's why we're having this conference that's why revoice and some of these you know other things are Honestly, they're 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 quite uh, damaging to the church. They're they're dangerous, and uh, they're leaving a lot of people in this generation thinking that there that there is another way, and there really isn't another way. There's only one way, and that's Christ. Right, right. he's right. our way. And so you know, it is somewhat complicated, but the science, like the John Hopkins uh, doctors, um, um, uh, McHugh. Uh, he, they just did a study a couple of years ago and conclusively showed that there is no, uh, genetic, uh, connection to homosexual, um, behavior or even identity or feeling, um, that it is, uh, 100% emotional, uh, nurturing, environmental. And then, uh, Dr. Satin over with, um, um, uh, my genes, uh, the studies that have been done in New Zealand. And and so there's, there's work out there if people want to find it. Right. So again, what we do, though, we are a pastoral care offering. And so we're not going to wrangle with people. If they want to live gay and be gay and gay identified, that's their choice. But don't say that we don't exist and don't say that people don't want to change because that's just not the truth. Mm-hmm. Because we do exist and there are a lot of people that do change and want to find change. Right. So that's that's the most important part is defending religious liberties right now with this whole thing, conversion therapy and all this other crazy stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. important for people to really realize that the men that I minister to, a lot of them, Jeff, they don't come back and say, I'm ex-gay. Right. They go on to live productive, godly lives. They get married. They have children. And, I, you know, I wish I could show you the whole pictures of the hundreds of men that I know from, from even 30 years ago in ministry where mm-hmm. they are today. Uh, because they're not doing what I do. They're not taking this stand, most of them. Now, some do, thank God. Um, but, you know, people are in the church right beside most people. Yeah that at one time thought that they might be gay and they're actually in the church. Mm-hmm. People would be surprised.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Now, which kind of leads us into, you know, you have your ministry, uh, you know, first Stone ministries. Um, there, there's this misconception I think out there that all, uh, all therapy or working through, converting people out of the homosexual life into heterosexuality is conversion therapy and you're beating people with Bibles and electrocuting, shocking, whatever it is. Uh What is it that you guys do? Because I'm assuming you guys aren't electrocuting Uh people.
2: Yeah, you know, we've even had people like, you want to take a tour of the offices? We have some really nice offices here at First Stone because uh, our, our landlord is really graciously Given us great rent, so we actually have a whole suite of offices, and then we have a meeting room on the other side. And uh, you know, there's there's supply rooms and stuff. And they weren't able to find a machine, <laughs> um, you know. But it is crazy because um, I was in California two years ago, and the Huffington Post did this article about this kid that said he had been because I had uh, done this conference with uh, actually. It was Dr. Michael Brown at the Peter Jones Conference in um, San Diego, and I I gave a little talk and testified, and uh, one of the people in the audience was a a wealthy family with a gay son. Well, apparently this this kid got upset, and um, the Huffington Post did a piece on him, and this kid lied. He actually said he had been taken to this church where they had a machine, and they took him to the basement, and... But people believe this stuff, yeah. and so. But and even one of the people that testified at, for the AB twenty nine forty three at Sacramento, one of the people had testified of this same kind of thing, and so several other people went tried to uh, uh, talk to him to ask him, well, who was your therapist? Where where, where was this church? Uh, where where was this? Where are these offices that they're doing these kinds of outrageous things? Mm-hmm. So, um, it is it's such a rarity, but I will say that yes, there have been some ministries and ministers and therapists in every line of work that have done bad things. Uh, and it's not just in this line of work, it's in every line of work. Right. You, know, you get bad lawyers, you get bad doctors, you get bad uh, uh, ministers. You know, ministers have done some egregious things, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's not to say these things never happen. But, you know, I've been in this ministry for for over 30 years, and I know most of the people that do this kind of work, and nobody is doing what they're calling conversion therapy. And what this term is, is a ruse from something that was back in the 40s and 50s when they would use pain therapy techniques called aversion therapy. Mm -hmm. And you study aversion therapy, and it was electroshock or, you know, pain sticks or you know, popping of rubber bands or, you know, doing some form of of pain therapy to stop the mind from thinking a certain way. Uh, So much so that even some people under uh, medical care tried to do things with um, chemicals and drugs and even using uh, psychotherapy uh, with uh, video and or pornography and stuff. Right. But um, none of the ministries that I'm aware of, and I know a lot, and therapists all of the ones right now that are being couched by the gay community as conversion therapy or shame ministries, they also call the local people here calling us a shame ministry.
3: Mm-hmm. That
2: we shame people, right? And um, and that the, the interesting thing about shame is there is shame and nakedness and uncleanness. Yeah. And so yes, we're trying to help people out of shame and and help them to to wrestle with their with the brokenness of their soul and to find freedom so you know that's that whole ruse out there you know this idea that you know people are getting harmed a movie just came out called boy erase yeah i was just i was just gonna
1: bring that up i you know i just saw the trailer i think for you know the other day it's with you know they got some big names they got like russell crow nicole kidman i mean they've, yep. they've got some they've got some big names kind of running behind that
2: yeah, and even the the director um, whose uh, ministry that was, John Smith, on his website, um, he he's giving it a pass because you know poor because he's gone back into homosexuality and he's married to a man now, uh, but he's giving it a pass because it's like well they didn't you know portray really what happened at the ministry, but um, well those kinds of things do happen. So the public needs to be informed. And I'm like going, no, that's the total opposite. That's a lie. It's called propagating a lie. And so he's content to be used as a propagandist tool. And that's sad. Um, But um, yes, he was very, he admits it. He was very legalistic in his approach to helping people. um, And their very boundaried way of, um, the way that they treated uh the people coming into the program as um, young adults and so it was like boot camp and and so that that's one offering jeff mm-hmm. but you know what when you look at all the ministries and there's a, probably over 100 you know some affiliated with restored hope and other ministries as well in the united states none of them are doing that kind
1: of thing right
2: it's it's so it's a lie
1: Right. So, so what is it that you guys do? Like, how, how do you guys work through this mm. issue? Because there's this, again, it's, it's, I don't think anybody really knows what a ministry like you guys actually do with somebody. So right. I, it'd be great for people to know that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, um, what we do is, um, when people come into our ministry, um, I won't show you the name, but, um, they have to fill out an intensive packet, uh, of paperwork. And so the first thing is is that's asked, and uh, and those are the, my, my current client folders right there, which is about 20 men I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're asked, um, do you really want this? Um, are you coming here because you want help or somebody else is uh, forcing you to come? And then they're asked, do you realize that this is going to take a process in um, looking at your history and unraveling some things? And then the third thing is, are you willing, especially if you've given a year or two to sexual addiction or pornography addiction or whatever the, the problem is, uh, gender confusion, homosexuality, because I, I work with men from every background, is are you willing to give at least a year to two years of your life to discipleship care and support group ministry? And if they say yes, then we start the process. Mm-hmm. If they say no, then we don't want to uh, spend our time putting energy into somebody who doesn't want to be here. Right. And so, you know, like these uh, these people here locally, they're saying that you know parents will bring their kids here, and that that has happened. Teenagers, mm-hmm. and um, and we will try to appeal to them. And uh, over a few short visits, if it's clear they they really do not want to be here, they actually hate being here then um, we will tell the parents this is counterproductive and um, better off not to to force them to come here. Mm-hmm. And so then there's a whole nother part of our ministry, which is the parent, family and friends support group. So they meet every uh, every other Friday night. And it's really like a grief support group because you have families that, you know, are living a very godly, uh, biblically centered um worldview and they have a gay identified loved one now and how do you navigate that so a lot of what we do as a ministry we do this pastoral care we unapologetically tell people we're going to be coming from everything not just from the idea of counseling to get the person to their goals we're going to point back to the scripture and what are god's goals right and, um, and so that, that is our offering as far as counseling. It's pastoral care to pastor people to become disciples of Jesus. So we do that full time. And then we also do a very large support group called Living Waters. And we do that on, on Thursday nights. And um, people, um, you know, we, we usually have anywhere from 20 to 40 people involved in that group, both men and women and men and women teachers, and men and women worship leaders, and men and women small group leaders. So there's a, a time of, of worship, dedication at the cross, then a teaching based upon the material they're going through, and then they break, and then they go into uh, small groups based upon their gender. Okay. A little bit like um, what's called Celebrate Recovery, uh, but um, actually people who have done that and this, this is much more intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in that it deals with a lot of uh, historical brokenness in people's lives and causes people to have to look at it, okay. uh, their family of origin, and and then we do public speaking and teaching and love doing that. I was just in Mexico City and uh, uh, spoke four at four large sessions and then two one mega church and had just the best time. Honestly, in years that I've had,
3: yeah,
2: uh, because the the response was so fun. You know, if you if you've ever done teaching or preaching and you get a great response, that always you know it uh, just fills your heart. Oh yeah, for sure. And so I was so blessed by that. So that's I think that's everything we do. And mm-hmm. people can mm-hmm. look at our website firststone dot org, and a lot of what I've said is is there for them to to read.
1: Right. For sure. For sure. How, how did you come up with the name First First Stone Ministries? Oh, how, how did that How did that How did that come about?
2: Great question. Actually, in 1976, uh, this uh, we were founded as one of the um, uh, founding ministries of Exodus International, uh, that went off the rails in in 2010 2011, and um, uh, it was formed by a mom and dad. And originally, uh, they had named the, the ministry incorporated as Fishers of Men. And uh, it became more obvious as they were doing the ministry that they were ministering to every form of sexual center. Mm-hmm. And so they took the from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, let him who is without sin cast the first stone about the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Now, what's powerful about that passage of Scripture, actually, it is a great apologetic uh, passage uh, in doing the exegesis on on homosexuality uh, because Jesus didn't have to say anything about homosexuality. That actual passage reminds us that he was the Savior to come and deliver us from capital punishment, from, from death of sexual immorality. And if a woman caught in the very act of adultery was going to be stoned to death, how much more so during that day when a homosexual True, it would have been immediate death. Right. And so we see our savior in that passage offering the compassion, but then he says, go and send no more. And in, you know, in previous uh, chapters, he says, go and send no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. And so, you know, we combine the mercy and compassion to the sexual center and to integrate a, um, the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, so that a soul is able to walk out repentance in the gloriousness of who Jesus Christ is as our Savior on the cross, who took all the penalty of our sin. And once you marry all of that together as a true gospel offering, and people really get a revelation of that, they're able to break free from their sin.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, now, when people are coming to your ministry, are you getting people that are that would consider themselves Christians? Is it is it are they coming to you before they become a Christian? Is it after they become a Christian? Where or is it kind of all of the above?
2: It's about ninety five percent that are already identified as a Christian. Okay. Um, there are sometimes we will get somebody literally like there's a young man I'm ministering to right now who had a Christian upbringing. But he finally came to the end of himself. He was in, in Los Angeles, a uh, very attractive man involved in a relationship with an actor out there in Hollywood, very attractive people. And um, he just came to the end of himself when his lover decided he wanted a different lover. And he just said, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm going to move back. And then uh, his dad found this ministry and he said, why don't you try that ministry out? Right. And so here's a guy coming right out of the gay community. Uh, living as a gay man, and I started meeting with him, and uh, that was in January. And here it is, you know, November. And Jeff, he's a he's a different person. Right. God's already changed him. He is totally, radically changed for good. Good. And I'm so excited about him. So that does happen, mm-hmm. but most of the time, it's you know they have a a pretty good Christian worldview, and they're struggling with secret sin. And they feel ashamed, they feel broken, and they don't feel like they can talk to their pastor, so they, they seek us out.
1: Okay, for sure. And I think that that then kind of leads us into, to a certain degree, dealing with the revoice issue in general. Because in within that system or that uh, conference and that sort of thing, they were oh. really promoting the uh, same-sex attraction and that it's just something that you live with. It's not necessarily something that you repent from so if you could kind of explain what it, what is kind of I guess essentially their premise and then what was wrong with their premise from a biblical standpoint
2: great great question and yeah that really does need to be unpacked so what what we have is we have people like Wesley Hill and Nate Collins who you know they they write their books and they call themselves gay Christian but celibate mm-hmm and they also run with people like Matthew Vines and uh, Randy Thomas Allen Chambers, you know, these people now that are actually embracing homosexuality, their, their gayness, and that it's okay to, to behave in a homosexuality. So it's a mixed bag. And, right. you know, you don't have to take a lot of unpacking of the scripture to know just that one issue is a big problem you know hanging if you hang out with fools you'll become a fool you know if you hang out with the immoral people and you you actually make those people your friends you're you're headed for for some trouble
3: mm-hmm.
2: so mm-hmm. how much more so if you take something that you're struggling with internally and make that a part of your identity right which how this got started was a, a doctor by the name of Mark Yarhouse who wrote a white paper that has been used in a lot of the uh, universities certainly, you know, Nate Collins and and the, those guys would um, pull from him, and um, and and bottom line, when you look at his paper on sexuality and gender, Christian sexuality and gender, which is being used in a lot of the universities now, um, is this idea that orientation can maybe possibly change but not really a lot. Right. And so by, by the time you read through his 40 pages, um, you get down to the, to the base of it in his church. We just need to accept LGBTQ and the notice the plus sign, which that's a whole nother thing to unpack. Right. But these people are in our midst and they can't change. And they're Christian because they have a mental ascent to Jesus You know, they believe, they say they believe the Bible and they want to live a celibate life, but they're taking on this identity and we should embrace that at varying levels. Mm -hmm. And that's where it becomes actually very disturbing because it's not holy pastoral care. It's not leading people to a a Christ-centered, cross-centered life. Now, Nate would probably argue with that in that, He's bearing this cross of of being a gay Christian, you know, and he even said so in in his conference, you know, as being like the weeping prophet Jeremiah. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And the reality is, is they're they're causing themselves to limp because, in my experience, they don't know how to deal with their mind. They don't know how to take their thoughts captive. They don't understand spiritual warfare. Most of the time when I do inventory on people that do this, they're continuing to look at pornography. Mm -hmm. They're continuing to fantasize. They're continuing to compare themselves. They they don't have centered work in their lives dealing with who they are as healthy individuals in their gender made in the image of God. So they're flirting with a lot of this stuff. And now instead of actually bringing the cross to this, they're wanting to bring appeasement to it Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. saying, you know, we can't change and we should be embraced. And so then so then this brings in the idea the church needs to embrace this audit that's come from, you know, living out with Tim Keller going to uh, London and his wife. And Ed Shaw bringing this whole thing, this 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 it's called a church audit, Mm -hmm. which when you read the church audit from uh, Living Out, is this idea that, and and it's in there unless they've changed it again. They've been changing it since some of
1: us have been calling attention to it. I've noticed that, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they keep changing. Like point nine had, and you know, give our children to the LGBTQ visitors. I'm like. My gosh! Yeah, it's I like it's like it's yeah, we're
1: we're gonna share our children with us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So
2: you know, and just how welcoming are you of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, they they don't like people like me because I actually call for a narrower walk. I, I call for um, um, the idea of believing this Bible that says, as a matter of fact, this morning. And I did what was called a little Hebrews walk. And if you just take Hebrews, uh, you know, from the last couple of verses of chapter two through the bottom of chapter four, and look at the idea of sin and unbelief and doubt concerning orientation and more, that's it'll preach. Which I'm giving a little bit away about how what I am going to preach at, at the God's voice. Okay, because sure. when you look at Romans 6... When you do like what I call a Timothy walk, which I've done with Janet Medford, this this the, all of these scriptures in Hebrews, never mind about sex, never mind about identity, about whether or not you truly believe in the creator of the universe to make change and difference in your life. Right. And, and when it comes down to it, these people are saying grace is impotent.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They're, they're saying grace doesn't have power. Yeah. And so just like Paul said to Timothy, it is a form of godliness without power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, some of these people believe, you know, the Holy Spirit is somehow, you know, packaged up in a certain way and put away over in a box. And I'm like, that's not what the Bible teaches. Right. The Holy Spirit can move and should work within our personality, our soul, and the way that we think with the Word of God being engrafted to bring about change. So this is the difference between revoice and God's voice in a very, you know, uh, nutshell. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is, is that we believe the Bible. We believe in trans transformative uh, grace that changes the soul. And they don't, right. They don't, they don't believe it. They, they, they are telling the church, we can't stop being attracted to our same sex. Mm-hmm. Now, Anybody who does just a little bit of Bible study on this, Romans 1, knows that this is an unnatural behavior, an unnatural desire. And though, yes, I will be the first one to say, yes, there will be people who struggle. Yes, there will be people who are tempted. It would be disingenuous and actually even mean for me to say the man who comes in and has been secretly living a a gay active life in the church, living this dual lifestyle, which I have ministered to many men like that for 25 years. And now he's, you know, 50 and um, somehow it's all just going to go away. I'm going to be the first one to tell him, you know what? You're probably going to struggle to the day you die, Mm -hmm. but where sin abounds, grace does much more. And the grace of God can, if you will surrender, see the, and you, you'll notice all these little, this, it's actually a huge word. It's I F I F if, I-F. Right. If. Right. if you continue in the faith firmly, if you are established in the word of God in his ways and like Moses in, in, in his house in Hebrews, the, all the ifs in Hebrews are very interesting. And, and of course I love uh, Colossians chapter one. You know, it says, if you continue in the faith. Well, the revelation is all about overcoming and being Mm -hmm. an overcomer. And these people are not teaching that. So this is the difference between the revoice message of LGBT Christianity. And they're even, they even communicate this, Jeff. They're they're making like the effeminate male who offers um, beauty, and, you know, he can't control himself. He's always, you know, he's got his hands always moving.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he he um, speaks in breathy tones. And he creates these beautiful things that that's going to be queer treasure in heaven. Yeah. And that somehow the unnatural brokenness of a man's soul or a woman who acts like a man is going to somehow be queer treasure. Yeah. And this is this is actually the opposite of what God says about maturing, holy men and women of God. Mm -hmm. And there is no queer treasure in heaven. Uh, These things are not going to be celebrated as queer. And that's what they're calling it, by the way. Right. And because we've had some pushback on some people saying, well, why, why do you have that, you know, that subtitle to the conference? It's called um, a biblical response to the queering of the church. Well, brother, it's because they're saying it. Mm-hmm. They're calling themselves queer. Right. I was just in a debate with um, at UCO. Uh, Robert Gagnon and I were on one side, and then they had the the uh, the, the the woman who's a soci- um, uh, sociologist who helps people transition, and a United Methodist minister. And the United Methodist minister actually starts out talking about all the queer folk and all the queers in the audience, and yay, we're queer, and we're here. And it's like, they're actually calling themselves that now. Right. It used to be derogatory. Now it's being actually celebrated. And the ch- and some people in the church are baffled by that. I'm baffled by it. Yeah. I, I, I think it sounds bad. Mm-hmm. But this is what they're actually wanting to bring into the church. They want, They want this kind of terminology accepted as norm now you look like how old are you
1: Jeff I am 32
2: yeah you're the same age as my son I've Mm -hmm. a a son 32 years of age um and your generation it's like hmm well maybe that's not that big of a deal to be called a queer Uh, my son thinks it's weird of course he was raised differently right you may think it's kind of weird but there are people in your peer group and younger they don't think it's so weird
1: yeah yeah, you know, I I even know I I have several friends that have you know kind of kind of adopted that to a, to a certain degree you know, and it's 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 interesting to see because I feel like every generation you start going through the terminologies that were derogatory in the previous generation, and then the next one down they're adopting. Those and it's like they're reclaiming it for themselves, and you you see this in all different areas. It's not just within this community, you know. So it's, it's interesting. Right. It's interesting, kind of seeing how from generation to generation, those same terminologies mean completely different things. Yeah, um, you see it in
2: racism, which is yes. so strange too. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, so so you know, for me, what I'm looking at, like revoice and that sort of thing. To me, what's interesting is I feel like what they're doing is they're not only creating confusion around uh, homosexuality and sexual sins and that sort of thing. But what they're doing is they're creating confusion around the gospel because essentially they are saying that you don't have to repent for certain sins. And to me, what they're doing is they're also saying that sanctification isn't enough. Um, that, that's right. Yeah.
2: Well, or, or they may do like what? Uh, the Exodus board said, which is you're completely sanctified and you don't have to worry about it anymore. A type of hyper grace antinomianism. Okay. Yeah. They, they actually teach that too, yeah. which is you're completely sanctified. When you come to Christ, you're holy and it doesn't matter about your behavior. Mm-hmm. And now thank God. I don't think Wesley Hill or even Nate Collins would go that far. Right. But some of his, bu- some of their buddies do.
1: Yeah. Which, which is sad because I feel like, you know, maybe maybe part of the problem is that, you know, people just don't understand the difference between justification and sanctification and what it means. And so, it's – yeah, and it's like – in, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe even this is like a symptom of – it's just the church isn't educated on our own theology, you know. Right. um. So I don't, I don't know if you wanted to run with that and just kind of like explain no, no, the difference that, between that. that right you know? on
2: because that's, that is part of the erosion in this is they – they don't believe that it's necessary um, to to go on further in a sanctifying process. Yes, you're justified by faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that happens in the beginning, right? And and then through the justification of faith, there's something that's supposed to take place in being reconciled to God. Is that you now start a walk of repentance, right? Mm-hmm. Repentance is not pre. If you notice. Very rarely we even hear the word repentance right. in this mix. They they may drop justification or even sanctification, but they they don't talk about the repentance process and being reconciled to God. And that in itself is actually brings about the Holy Spirit's ability to to bring us into a trajectory of continued sanctification. If you're not repenting and turning over to God and turning over to God. Because all that means is you're, you know, you're changing the direction in word, thought and deed. Right. Right. Repentance. Right. And um, that's why restitution, if you've been a thief or, you know, you you've done things to to really bring harm to other people is, you know, uh, John the Baptist taught this. He said, then you? You need to you need to um, make restitution. You need to renounce if you've given ground to Satan. You know, you don't just pretend like he's not there. Uh, the Scripture teaches these these processes of this theology, so you've got you 've got the great word of justification by faith in Christ, right So what that means is everything about your sin, if you will truly put your faith in the blood atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, he becomes a propitiation, which we were looking at that word today. That word is one of the strongest words that I think Tyndale had to make up because it's such an amazing um, idea that God not only atoned for our sin, he actually removed them and made Christ sin to be for us who knew no sin. That is amazing. Yes. And once you believe from the heart in this amazing sacrifice— and this, this, this uh, belief that there is propitiation—that He actually has done this. You fall in love with Him. You want to turn away from your sin. So then you begin to be reconciled to God through repentance because of your faith. And if you, you know, you cannot study the Bible without seeing that belief and obedience are synonymous. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite passages to, to just look at that. Is John chapter three. A lot of times, people are reading it in King James. Actually, it's mistranslated. Verse thirty-six, it says, "Those who do not believe in God have the wrath of God on them. Or the the, the those who believe are, are are saved, but those who do not obey, the word is actually obey there in the Greek.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we see that also in Hebrews, synonymous. Just like in chapter uh, three today, we looked at the word disobedience. It's synonymous because they did not enter into his rest because they did not put their faith and trust in him. And so then this is what begins this process of sanctification by inviting the Holy Spirit to be Lord over life. And that's why this is so important. Because James, most theologians would say his epistle was probably the first to, to be written. And James says something very powerful in verse twenty one. He says that the word of God has to be implanted and and for the saving of your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. Mm-hmm. And these revoice guys are people that are honestly crippled in their identities are not putting their identity in the word of god they're putting their identity in their emotions their feelings and attractions which is the exact opposite of what god's word is is telling us to do in the sanctifying process now the word sanctification itself it it just it means to become like god more and more like him uh, the, the other word is holiness to be to be holy Mm-hmm. And, and what that means is to be separate, separate from the world, in your thinking, and your ways. Well, then how can you be separate and call yourself gay? Right. And would you call yourself a porn fornicator? Mm-hmm. If you've struggled with, with pornography, which honestly, your generation and younger, not many young men haven't been snared by pornography from time to time. Right. And um, I remember the first time my son saw something on Google Images. And he was, and I caught him. Boy, he got busted because I, I had you know um, the tracker on the on the computer. And I said, "Hey, John, you're looking at some stuff." We laugh about it now, you know. But he's like, "Dad, I, 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 just saw it, and I, just, I just couldn't stop. And it was like click, and and before you know it, you're looking at things you would never see." Right. So this generation has really been um, um, eroded in the thinking about sanctification. And so there's so much unbelief around this because it's like, well, I understand it. I was, you know, tormented by porn. Well, you know what? Fifty years ago, people weren't. Mm-hmm. And so the standards are being lowered in this area of sanctification. And that is part of the reason why we have this erosion taking place with revoice. The The other part of this, and I was talking to a, a major city pastor here uh, this last week, and he asked me, he said, why do you think some of these big names, and I, and I won't name them today because there's, I think, some repentance happening, I hope, Yeah. but, but why, why do you think some of these big names didn't say anything about Revoice until afterwards? And, and I knew who he was talking about. I was like, well, let me tell you, I actually have some inside scoop on some of these people. They have gay-identified loved ones. right? And this is the quandary the church finds itself in, is people are suffering. They're really, Jeff, they are really, really hurting. There are families that are just so full of pain and grief and sorrow, and it begins to erode on them. It's like, what do we do at Christmas? Well, now, you know, Uncle John has... His, you know, lover, you know, Kenny, uh, what do we do at Christmas? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all these questions and honestly, compromise is taking place. Now, you know, I always tell people the first thing is consider children, consider grandchildren. And that's the most important thing is protecting the children. Of course. And, you know, what they're going to be influenced by. But, you know, if you have adults and you can actually maybe provide an environment where you can share Christ to a gay identified friend or loved one, then praise God. Really? You know, mm-hmm. they need the gospel. Totally. And it's it's not about the homosexuality first. Right. And so that does make sense why some of these people are struggling when you look at their histories and even leaders in the church, why they're not boldly taking this subject on
1: yeah it's it's really interesting like looking at it even even from you know my perspective essentially from the outside in the sense of like i'm not involved with you know you guys that are doing this conference and that sort of thing but just looking at it from the outside and following the whole you know conversation leading up to revoice what happened after revoice it was really interesting to see how how little pushback there was and you would think that this would be something that could be pretty easily clarified with scripture and that sort of thing. And for whatever reason, none of these big name guys that everybody looks to for their discernment really took a stand at all. And th- so that, that was really, um, that was really interesting. Um, but I feel like one, one question that I would have, cause we're dealing with, okay, families we're dealing with how do Christian families deal with this within their own families? Um, what understanding justification and sanctification If, if somebody is, if somebody is going to become a Christian, are you taking a position that they need to repent of homosexuality at that point? Or is that going to be a part of the sanctification process? Because I feel like you kind of get it from both ends. It's like, how can somebody be a Christian and be gay? But then it's like, but do you have to change the second you get saved? So that, I guess that, that would be one area where I feel like we could clear that up.
2: Yeah, that, that's actually really good. Now, uh, we actually, I, I have this discussion quite a bit now. Mm-hmm. It's in my book, Freedom Realized, and, and here uh, I talk about something very significant. And, and I was ta- talking to this pastor we were talking about. I said, when the apostles got together and they were thinking about, okay, obviously we now know it's not just limited to the Jew. Mm-hmm. The gospel is now for the Gentile. And we've seen it. And, you know, Peter gets the sheet comes down. That was just clean, unclean. You know, when I say clean, eat, you know, and then it was like, OK, now the food issue and ceremonial and 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 circumcision. You know, what, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? And so they were wrestling with it. Right. Remember? Yeah. yeah. And then in Acts, what, what do they finally come down to? There are two things that must come always accompany the gospel. You know what those two things, do you remember what they are, Jeff?
1: Not off the top of my head.
2: Okay. There must be always the preaching of of repentance from idolatry Mm -hmm. and sexual immorality. Always. Okay. And then they said, and the other thing we want to do, which is we want to give to the poor and needy. Right. So those were the things that were the basis in, if you're going to preach faith in Christ, you also must teach them that to actually have this relationship with Jesus. And see, that's the key thing here, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: is once someone really gets saved and they have a revelation of Jesus and they put their faith and trust in him, he doesn't necessarily go after the homosexuality first thing. But it's usually all immorality and all idolatry. And very quickly, if somebody's truly born again, God's tapping on them. He sure did it with me. I remember it was that week. Okay. Yeah. It, it, I mean, well, that very night I got saved, you know, I, Leviticus 18.22. But I began mourning the whole week. I was just full of this mourning that I'd actually been lied to. And it became so clear to me, and, I, and I, it was him turning on the lights for me. I didn't have to have someone beating me over the head with the Bible, thou shalt not commit a homosexuality. And so, you know, when people get worried about that, I tell them, you know, give, give ground to make sure that the seed is germinated because that's, you know, when you look at this, um, Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how then will you understand any of the other parables? about the sower of the seed. The seed has to go in and germinate so that it brings forth life. And we see that there's a battle immediately. Satan is coming to sow unbelief and make people not even understand. Right. So once you get past that and they get to the seed where it's actually starting to grow, then we start seeing that's when a, another crossroads happens To see if that is that baby going to make it or is it going to get aborted? Now, I know that may not fit into your theology or anybody's theology, but that's what the Bible actually teaches. And so I'm like going this whole thing about being born again. I like Spurgeon, some of the old timers. You better make sure you're born again. Mm -hmm. You better make sure that you're really, truly rejuvenated by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the word of God has really come in. Well, this is the same thing if you have a gay identified loved one, are they truly born again so that you can minister repentance to them? and And what's interesting is we, we see that the Holy Spirit, if he's working around somebody that he does that in time. And will it happen in time? Absolutely. It will happen in time because the Bible's so clear on this. Yeah. And it can't be a practicing murderer, bitter, hateful, unforgiving, um, you can't you can't be a practicing liar or thief or sexually immoral, which all of that is idolatry. Right. You cannot be a practicer of those things and inherit the kingdom of God.
1: Right. And I and I wonder I wonder too, just looking at it from a theological perspective of I wonder if the reason why that is one of the first things that's dealt with is because. For most people, it's their entire—it's their entire identity. When you think about it, right. they, they've adopted it as their entire identity, and all of a sudden now there's this clash that happens. Um, so yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's. Yeah, like, I mean,
2: how can you get free if you're still stuck in that? Right. How are you going to really be able to walk in freedom if you don't separate yourself? Right. And and that's not just homosexuality. That's that's true of all the ways of the world. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know anyone who is struggling with alcoholism that continues to go to the bar ever gets free.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if you keep putting yourself in that, in that position, it's it's virtually impossible to get out of it in all reality. Um, so now you got, you know, you get by you guys, I mean like you, Janet Mefford, Tom Littleton, and a handful of other people, you guys have put together this conference coming up called God's voice. Um, Mm -hmm. assuming it's a direct response to revoice. But if you want to, if if you want to kind of explain, like, what led up to that to make the decision, okay, let's do a conference and tackle this topic?
2: Well, part of the reason, Jeff, is because nobody was wanting to tackle it. Like you said, it was like, who's going to tackle this issue? And so when um, when Tom Littleton actually started doing some of the investigation mm-hmm. and how this is coming in into the PCA and into the SBC and uh, into other evangelical offerings that used to be very biblically orthodox and that this is starting to come in kind of like an erosion. It became more and more obvious. Somebody needs to say something somewhere. Right. And it was like, we could do it. And so honestly, um, over the years, uh, Janet Medford has become a friend and, uh, we had her speak here at our 40 year anniversary, um, Four years ago. And uh, then she also spoke at RHN in, in San Diego two years ago. And, you know, and she's had me on her program several times. And we've also off the air talked a lot about all this stuff. Right. Right. And um, and so it just became obvious that let's let's have a meeting. Let's let's pray and let's seek the Lord. And that happened in August after Revoice. And we're honestly in Fort Worth, all there together. And we just thought, let's do this. Let's, let's see if we can do this. And so we pulled it together. Okay. For sure. And we had some other people, you know, that, um, we thought that might speak up with us, but you know, they, um, have other prior commitments or they're not able, or they're like, I, you know, I don't know that I want to do that right now. So, so we ended up with the speakers that we have and they're not, you know, none of us are like huge names, but you know what? We do have some expertise. And, you know, I don't have a Ph.D., but I know my Bible. Right. And I can preach it as good as some, of the, some, some other preachers. And I'm not saying that arrogantly. It's just the truth. I know the Scripture mm-hmm. about this issue especially. And so um, and then you've got Tom, who is a, a missionary um, who's been, in you know, he's been 30 something years in the Southern Baptist Church. And then you've got, I don't know Al Baker that well, but, you know, I understand he's been, I think, in ministry for 40, 45 years. Mm -hmm. And Jana is coming as a person who's really, she's kind of a prophetic woman that really brings a great offering of truth and stir and encourage other people. And then you have uh, Dr. Andrea Williams coming from, uh, England, who has seen what has taken place in the uh, the Anglican Church and the querying of of the church, and they call it that. I mean, the querying of the Church of England, mm-hmm. and 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 this this offering that's coming through some of these other people connected with the Gospel Coalition and with uh, this idea, it it's kind of okay to be gay Christian, and so we started seeing that, and it's like, well. She could definitely bring her perspective. Yeah. And nobody gets very much better on the history of the gay agenda. And anybody who says there wasn't a gay agenda or is a gay agenda, they've not been looking at their history very well over the last 35 years. right? And so all of that's going to culminate together and I think is going to give the church um, hope because there's going to be testimonies, my testimony. Oh, Bobby Lopez, uh, Dr. Lopez, uh, he comes out of homosexuality as well, but he did, wasn't involved in ex gay ministry and stuff. And so he has a, uh, his own perspective in offering hope. And so that's going to be great as well. So you look at the speakers and you see that this became, you know, honestly, some of us where we're at in the culture and how heartbreaking this is, and and that we would come beside the church and say, you know what, God has a voice about this. They're wanting to revoice mm-hmm. the church, but what does God's voice have to say about this? So in that meeting in uh, August, we immediately purchased the domain name God's Voice, and um, and people have thought, well, Harry Reader wrote an article about it. That's where we got—no, actually, it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started talking about God's voice and he actually wrote on it. Okay. Which we thought was like very cool. Yeah. you know. So uh, there are some people that are addressing it, but you're right. Not many. And we're hoping that this causes people to actually start wanting to, to, um, to really talk about this and not just in condemnation, but with hope. Yes. Yes. There'll be some, some uh, judgment about the things that need to be judged, but Judgment is not always a bad thing. It's actually we all judge anyhow. Right. We we judge right and wrong, but to actually say this is wrong and this is right is needed,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and that is a source of love, and that is a source of love and hope to the church. So that's God's voice,
1: of of course. And so in you know and you you had mentioned the Gospel Coalition a, a little bit, you know, in, kind of in passing. Um, and what's interesting is I feel like, because um, I believe that this is going to be like the 11th episode of my podcast series and that sort of thing. I believe 10 out of these 11 episodes, the Gospel Coalition has come up consistently as they're compromising or they're looking the other way when it comes to sin or they're looking the other way when it comes to false teaching and that sort of thing. On this topic specifically, what's what's been the concern from this crowd that is allowing this kind of stuff to come in? Oh,
2: well, uh, it should concern anybody, and I'll just quote it, uh, <laughs> because I, I wrote about this on, on uh, my blog. And, um, uh, but uh, when, you, when you look at uh, some of the, um, the offerings, you have one that was very, very disturbing um, just uh, last year, and that was um, Janet Medford had me on, um, when, uh, a new book came out called, um, single gay Christian. Okay. And, uh, from single gay C- Christian, trying to find it here. Um, you had, uh, Dr. D.A. Carson. Okay. endorse single gay Christian. And, uh, and I want to, I want to read you, um, his, his quote, um, because it honestly is, is pretty um, disturbing. Mm-hmm. And so here's his quote in the book, um, in the back of, of of single gay Christian, when he says this on the right thing. Um, so here it is. I was very disturbed by the endorsement of the New Testament theologian D.A. Carson, who is the president of the Gospel Coalition. So if the president of the Gospel Coalition is saying this, this should give anybody pause. And Mm -hmm. this is what he says about Single Gay Christian, which is Gregory Coles calling himself gay, gay, a gay man, a gay single. He says, to say this book is important is a painful understatement. It is the candid, moving, intensely personal story of a gay young man who wants to live his life under the authority of King Jesus and who refuses to accept the conforming conforming answers uh, profited by different parts of the culture. Superbly written, this book, Single Gay Christian, stands athwart to the shibboleths of our day and reminds us of what submission to King Jesus looks like and what it feels like. So when I read that, and I read the book, and how Gregory Coles describes himself, he describes himself as not just even a celibate gay man, he describes himself as a young man pining and desiring to be in a gay marriage in different ways in the book. And D.A. Carson is presenting this as a good thing, and that you're a shibboleth? In our day, if you stand against it, that I'm sorry, that's that's compromise. Right. And um, and so he was called out. He was asked you know, what you were saying this. He said nothing. He has done. He's he has done nothing about it. And so then you have uh, Sam Albury, who uh, recently on an interview with Don John Piper, um, you know, uh, saying in some circles he's now calling himself a gay Christian. And yet two years ago, I asked him if he's ever going to do that. He said, no, I won't ever do that. And now he is in certain circles. And so there's this erosion that is taking place. Right. And all you have to do is actually search for it. If you really want to see it. But a lot of people, they don't want to listen to it. Right. And this is happening in the local acts 29 network. Um, You know, churches here, even in Oklahoma city, uh, I've had people here in my office, a young man saying, well, at our uh, church, you know, it's okay to be a gay and a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. like, do they actually call it that? Yeah, we, we, we're we celebrating it. And it's like, wow, it's, it just continues on.
1: Yeah, and what's really interesting, and I feel, and again, it's one of these things I keep saying over and over and over again, but I feel like for whatever reason, and again— I'm I'm a young guy. Haven't been around all that long, whatever it is. But I feel like over the last 18 months to two years, there's been so much compromise in so many different areas, especially coming out of like the Gospel Coalition and that sort of thing. Because for a while, I feel like everybody kind of looked at them like, okay, they're putting aside the secondary issues, but they're all agreeing on the gospel. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it's like we can't we can't even look at an organization called the Gospel Coalition for biblical truth anymore. And it's it's. <laughs> It's pretty. It's I know. pretty crazy. It's,
2: it's, it is. It's an, and you know my my pastor. Uh, I go to a uh, a reform charismatic church. Whatever that is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, his, his his name is Sam Storms.
3: Okay. Yeah.
2: Uh, Doctor Sam Storms. I mean he's he's in the Gospel Coalition Council mm-hmm. as well. And you know we've talked about some of this, and he's solid on this. I'm happy to say. Yeah. Um. He there aren't going to be any gay Christianity in our church. And so, um, but it is, you know, you've got some people that just are not listening. Well, I do understand that there is some discussion because of this, um, that there's going to be hopefully some clarity brought on this issue. I hope it really is clear and not compromising. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens, Jeff. Right. You know, that's where we have to, no matter what would happens in the church, or the organizations that we're involved in, even our our own local church, is we have to continue to pray and fight. And we also have to be be willing to speak, uh, even if there's pushback, because people sometimes really just don't want to hear it initially. And we have to continue to be tenacious because we love Jesus, because we love His Word, and we want to honor Him first. And then we want, you know, um, are you, you're a young married guy, right? Yep, I'm married,
1: yeah. And you have kids? Not, No kids yet.
2: Not yet. And, you know, and I have four grandchildren, and they're not from my son yet. They're from my daughter and uh, my other daughter. Um, but, um, you know, we want the best for our kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we, we need to be fighting for that. Yeah, and I mean, if you and your wife want to have children, I hope hope you hopefully you do. If there's yeah. nothing wrong, and uh, and that you would want to fight for that in uh, the fruitfulness of being a mago day, you know, the image of God, and and bringing forth something that's beautiful. Well, those children need to be protected in this regard, mm-hmm. and so I don't know why some of these people in the Gospel Coalition and elsewhere. Are not thinking big term uh, in this next generation because this is not a blessing to this generation. Right. It's of,
1: just not. Of course. No. I and I and I totally agree. And I, and I feel like you know we've kind of talked about homosexuality within within the individual, within the church. But then how do we as Christians deal with homosexuality in the culture and in the non-Christian world? Because um, I feel like you kind of you kind of get a little bit of both worlds in the sense of some people in the church. It's well, there's nothing to really do about anybody out is if they're not Christians. And then from the other side, it's, you know, complete condemnation and hellfire and brimstone. Where should Christians be when it comes to homosexuality within the non Christian world?
2: Well, that's where, and we get, we actually get that question. You know, how do we deal with that? What do we do? Mm -hmm. What we do is we live in ungodly. I mean, an uncompromised godly. We deal with our own sin We confess it. We bring it in the light. We're consistent so that it gives hope to those that are watching. You have people watching you. And I'm not just talking about your podcast. I'm talking about we all have people watching us. You know, how are we living our lives? Are we living a Christian life in our home and our coming and our going um, consistently? Nobody's perfect, but that gives hope to people. And, uh, and it begins there. Then it begins with, you know, I'd always quote, it's attributed to Augustine or, or St. Francis, and that is, preach the gospel all day long, and if necessary, use words. Well, that's good, and that's true, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there comes a point where you have to use words. Yeah. And so, yes, we need to have a godly lifestyle, but then we need to become preachers of righteousness. And part of the problem is, is fear. Fear being labeled, fear being judged. Uh, we better wake up. Or we're already there. Matthew 10 is here. Members of our own household in the United Kingdom, in Canada, and now, you know, in the United States here. And I was just in Mexico. People don't know this. But the new government coming into Mexico, one of their main agendas is to get any, uh, uh, any kind of condemnation in any source counseling church or otherwise that speaks against lgbtq in mexico will be illegal wow. across the entire country yeah and that's what this this administration in mexico so now to the south and to the north of the united states we have this oppression that's coming well it's just a matter of time if we do not get revival so Christians absolutely must prepare ourselves, encourage ourselves, get some teaching, like this conference, mm-hmm. First Stone oh Ministries, other ministries. Uh, we've got tons of resources on, you know, a- answering some of these questions. Joe Dallas is a good friend. He, he's got some really great um, information on, on processing how to deal with the family. You know, When Homosexuality Hits Home is one of his uh, really good books. And um, Michael Brown, he's written, you know, quite a bit on gay Christianity and the theology. Rob Gagnon, you can't get better than his gold standard. Everybody calls Rob Gagnon's book on homosexual practice and the Bible the standard on this because it deals with all the hermeneutics, the Hebrew, the Greek, the laws, and history. And so we need to study and, and show ourselves an understanding of the Word of God on this issue. And then... Being a good offering and being consistent, and and that's part of just being a disciple of Jesus, and and we have to proclaim that to the church specifically on sexual immor- immorality because we are living in one of the most decadent, sexually immoral times of world history. It's now worldwide. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me this, and and I was like, wow. The last time, gay marriage in the world was in the days of Noah. Okay. Interesting. And, and, and it is interesting that it was legal.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Never, mm-hmm. never since then. And now just in the last 50 years, you know, gay marriage. And isn't it interesting in the words of our Lord, he said, um, coming back. He said, they will be given just as in the days of Noah, they will be given coming back and forth and given a marriage. And he, he also said, Jesus said in Luke's gospel, he said, when I come, when I return to earth, will I find faith? And those two things to me are kind of haunting in what's happening in our, in our world on this issue.
3: Mm-hmm. So will I have
2: faith? And they were given a marriage just as in the days of Noah. And it's like, wow, this is really, really something. We are buying in culturally, worldwide. Except in certain spots like the Middle East.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, this
2: mm-hmm. idea that gay marriage or being married to one's same sex is permissible or even good, even holy, they say. Right. In some places. So yeah, we're in a battle. The church really needs to wake up and fight this good fight and understand you will be persecuted. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not if or when you will be.
1: And then and then how how should Christians be on a personal level with let's say they have a friend who is gay. Let's say they let's say they're running they have a coworker or anything along those lines. A how should we treat them because I feel like even though you would think that we should all be treating everybody with love and respect and that sort of thing, oftentimes that's a hard thing I think for some Christians to do. Um, but then, also, how do we reach them for christ what's what's the best way to deal with that and deal with sin without being overly um firestone and you know fire and brimstone
2: and, and you know and i'm 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 out on social media sometimes I'm pretty black and white when it comes to the issue but yeah, at a relational level the one of the first things I ask people is um is there homosexual sin so much in your mind that you're actually in the dark and shame of it?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, because if, if that's what's going on and you're the, the the person of condemnation and you're approaching it that way, rather than looking at them as a, as a soul, as a person needing Jesus, that's the first thing that needs to be conquered, your own mind, right. your own thoughts. Then, once you're there, then you don't necessarily need to make it about the homosexuality first. You know, you can, I, I remember when I was as lost as a goose in that engineering department, you know, they, my, my buddy that used to sit next to me, he started talking about end times. <laughs> and, you know, of course, back in the seventies, it was, yeah. uh, um, um, uh, the rapture guy, um, Tim LaHaye, I'm okay. uh, not, um, um, not, Big bushy mustache guy I'm trying to, you know. I, th- the- I, th-
1: I think I know who you're talking about, but I can't think of the name. Um, yeah, I'll think of it here in yeah. a second.
2: You know, and all the prophecies about, you know, the coming of the Lord. Well, that kind of got me shook up. Oh, yeah. Just talking about Jesus uh, because I believed in Jesus, I believed in God. And you'd be surprised how many people that are actually practicing homosexuals that did have some, you know, touch of Christianity in their life. And even if they don't, strike up that conversation yeah. and and begin to get the sowing of seed of God's eternal truths. They never return void.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, it always brings forth a fruit uh, because of what he says about his own word. So we continue to sow the truth, and we don't ever stop. Yep. And we continue to pray. Um, I'm so glad I had met this little granny um, when, uh, I was, uh, taking a, a summer vacation with my grandparents in uh, Kentucky when I was 12 years old. And of it's like, I don't know what my grandfather was thinking. He puts me on a bus by myself yeah. at 12 <laughs> and to go back to Oklahoma city. And I meet this little grandma. Well, she prayed for my salvation every day until I got saved. Wow. And when, um, When I got saved, I actually wrote her and she said she told me all this and she said, I knew when I met you on that bus when I was 12 years old, 10 years ago.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Pretty awesome. Totally. She said, I knew God told me that I was to pray for your salvation every day. And she did for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it's people like that, you know, and it's like that's a small part of my story, but actually it's a huge part. Totally. You know, this little this little woman was praying for my salvation mm-hmm. for ten years, and I got saved.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and I feel I feel like that's 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 the perspective that I feel like Christians need to have with the lost in general, but especially with the gay community in general. Because you know, like I, I was talking with with somebody uh, who's not a Christian who is in the gay community, and and they were telling me how and there's this pastor, pretty well known. And he wouldn't even shake her hand because he didn't want to get HIV. And it's like, that's, you're not helping, you know, it's like, we can be, we yeah. can, we can be definitive and we can stand firm on truth and we can not compromise, but we don't have to be constantly bringing up these images of Westboro Baptist to, right. to them. You know what I mean? And I think that there's, there's this line of, we we don't want to love so much that we compromise. But at the same time, we don't want to be so harsh and legalistic that we can't love. And it's this, it goes, it goes hand in hand. And I think that that's something that I think we all kind of need to learn on. Maybe some of it's just education. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just people aren't educated. I'm not really sure what that, what's leading to that. You know, I don't know.
2: It's, it's well said. And another thing that we do in our ministry as far as coming beside the church is looking at gifting. And if you have a certain gifting style that is going to lead you, like if you're a mercy introvert, well, a mercy introvert rarely is going to be confrontational, right? Right. They're they're not going to say, even if they're in the middle of a conflict, but a prophetic extrovert like me, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say something. And so if you know you're going to say something, make sure that you say it. And, you know, I get challenged all the time, even part of the I told you earlier that I was part of a rough phone conversation. It was over some conflict, over some stuff uh, about that very thing with someone confronting me. It was like, okay, a very difficult situation. We need to be open to correction, instruction and and uh, to to be righteous in that regard. The scripture actually teaches that's part of becoming the mature man of God. And so knowing who we are, being self-aware and um, teaching that, teaching giftings. Honestly, one of the things I think is, is one of the most powerful things, Jeff, you probably already know this because you're probably wired this way. But sharing your faith, it does something to you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually a gift to the church for you to witness. And so I'm always challenging people. When's the last time you shared your faith with someone? Right. You know, maybe it's as simple and, you know, my wife thinks I'm pretty crazy because I do it all the time, but <laughs> I enjoy it. Yeah. I'll, you know, drive through McDonald's. Yes. Sometimes we go to McDonald's, but I like to share with those people. Matter of fact, McDonald's down the road here, you know, it's uh, they speak almost nothing but Spanish there. So you know, when I go there, I always go. Um, um, you know, how are you? And how are you in Jesus Cristo? You in, you in Jesus Cristo? They're like, well, I said, do you love him? Do you love him? It's like, yeah. And, it's, and, and you know, and just leaving. Well, Dios bendiga. You know, just simple things like that. Totally, right. Totally. We need to teach the church. Mm-hmm. Do it. Yeah. Don't be afraid.
1: Right, and you know, it, and it's and it's one of those things that's it's. It's not that we have to go around cramming it down people's throats, but it's, we're, we're always ready with an answer. You know, like I was even, I was even in a, uh, I was in a lift, I think it was going to pick up the car from getting worked on. And the guy asked me what I do. I was like, well, you know, I have a podcast, I blog, whatever it is. And he starts asking about it. And he's, he's a Muslim guy from the Middle East and he's oh, like, wow. he's like, I've never really talked to a Christian about what they believe. So we're sitting there for 20 minutes as I'm going to get my car that's getting worked on. And, but it's, it's not that I was just sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to witness to this guy that's whatever. It's just, you just let the conversation happen and just, you don't, you don't wimp away from it, you know? And so I think, I, if, I feel like if, if more people could be open to that and be ready and prepared and always just in the back of your mind, just be ready. Um, Well, that's right. So, so, so kind of as we're closing a little bit, I wanted to kind of ask for those that are watching that either they have a family member or maybe they're struggling with themselves or, or that sort of thing, what, what's the first thing that they should be looking to do? What, like, you know, whether, whether it's get them, it, get them to a ministry like you go talk to the pastor, get and got like what, what's the main thing that you want them to know? Okay. This is step number one.
2: Well, they're not alone. And, um, you know, just like we were reading in Hebrews earlier today, every single one of us need encouragement. Okay, encouragement. And I love the word construct. It's in encourage. So to be able to have courage, you need to have the input. And the only way to, to input is to be able to talk to other people about what you're going through. And uh, if it feels shameful, if it feels broken, if it feels out of control, um, maybe you have sinned against your loved one. That's why I like uh, Phil Waldrop's uh, six points on uh, reaching your prodigal. You know, one of the things he talks about is making sure that you have a clear conscience, that you have done what is necessary to um, uh, to make amends with your prodigal child. Um, And then making sure that you are free and that you have presented the gospel. Uh, have you presented the truth? And then sometimes you have to let sin run its course. And um, and those are very, very helpful things. But every time I hear that, I think about encouragement, how to find ways to encourage one another, build one another up, process what is the truth. Um, that's why the Parent, Family, and Friends support group that we Uh, have. It is very well attended. Um, And I think part of the reason it is, is because they're able to share their grief and their sorrow with one another. So we need to find somebody who's gone through something similar or knows how to handle this and get encouragement. And it may be as simple as just getting encouragement to have somebody pray with you, uh, to know that you have a prayer partner, um, in whatever it is, it's not maybe not a homosexually uh, identi- gay identified child or whatever can be anything, and that's where I think small groups, community groups, you know, being open and honest. Um, years ago, I was asked by a ministry to come and share with these pastors, and I was in the '90s and I was young in ministry, and I thought, what do I have to share with these guys you know I'm I'm a young kid and, and uh the Lord said don't you know don't don't be surprised what you have to offer and he said I want you to mention about humility and he said uh the Lord spoke to my heart about James that the prerequisite to get power in your life is a humble heart mm-hmm. and and that is is that we humble ourselves God gives his grace to the humble but he resists the proud. And then the thing next to it was to ask them this question. And this this was, I mean, these were some pretty amazing ministers of God from across our country. And it was a retreat in Texas. And I asked them this question. I said, guys, um, you got, because I was testifying about coming out of homosexuality. And one of the things I've learned in ministry is to confess the darkest, the most thing that you think is the most evil, shameful thing of your life to another human being. You know, that's something the Catholics actually have that a lot of the evangelicals don't realize you're never as free as your deepest confession. Right. And um, and until you have confessed the darkest, most sinful thing of your life, you can't experience the freedom and the joy of having a clear conscience um, that God wants you to have. And so that comes right beside that word of encouragement. And honestly, Jeff, I can't uh, reiterate that enough about how I see people really walk in victory in their Christian life without, you know, those two components, a life of humility and confession and making sure that the darkest things are taken care of. And that actually helps the church. And if we study revival we see consistently that revival was spread through people praying and the confession of sin. Mm -hmm. And once all the sin was starting to get confessed, you know, it's like gave uh, an atmosphere for the Holy spirit to really move and bring about, you know, lasting revival. And uh, that's what happened in the first and second great awakening. When you study church history, you know, it's, it was always prayer and the preaching of the word and confession of sin. So, You know, it starts there, bro. Yep. It really does.
1: Yep, for sure. And so for people that are interested in either getting more information or possibly attending the God's Voice conference coming up, how can they get that information?
2: Real easy. The God's Voice registration has its own website. It's God's with just, you know, G-O-D-S voice dot U-S. So they had revoice dot U-S. We have Voice dot U-S. And then uh a First Stone has its own website, firststone.org. And my book has its own website, freedomrealized.org dot mm-hmm. org. So those are the three websites. And then I have a blog, Stephen dot org. But um um yeah, firststone dot org has has the connection to everything too.
1: Okay, perfect. And I'll and I'll make sure that I link down below and in the comments Thanks. and all that kind of stuff so that way people can just easily easily access that. So but I, I really appreciate you sitting down. We could have this conversation. I feel like we got into some good stuff and good conversation and good topics. And I really, really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate you.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you. You know, um, I want my son to be a preacher. He's a salesman,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, he's a big Berta guy and uh married uh and so when i talk to young men like you i say young man i know you're 30 31 32 yeah
1: 32
2: yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and it's like well you're a man man i mean you know you're a man yeah and but it is it is exciting for me you know uh 58 looking at you know the big six zero when i talk to young men that are on fire for the lord and so i bless you in that jeff i bless that you love god's ways and theology and correct teaching, and and you 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 fight for that. So I, I appreciate that about you.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate it. I really I really I really thank you for that because you know you know there's there's been some criticism and you know it's that that's life. Always. <laughs> Always. Oh, <So>, totally. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. And I really thank you for everything. And hopefully we can do it again sometime.
2: Sure. Yeah. God, God bless you, buddy. You too.
0: Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforumc.org.